Yeah, so I think coming out of the pandemic, we actually have an amazing opportunity to better integrate public health with healthcare. Hi, I'm Kat Jersich, Senior Editor at Healthcare IT News. As many of us know by now, the COVID-19 pandemic has had spillover effects on screening and preventive care. But even before the novel coronavirus, adequate screening for disease, especially among vulnerable people, was still a public health concern. A recent study from the Regan Street Institute in Indiana University found that even though screening rates have improved, about one in five women still do not receive a test for syphilis during pregnancy, which is recommended by the CDC given the serious threat that syphilis can pose to the health of a fetus. Joining me today to talk about the study and the role that IT can play in public health is Dr. Brian Dixon, Director of Public Health Informatics at the Regan Street Institute. Dr. Dixon, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Why don't you just um, get us started by talking a little bit about the study design and what prompted the study and how the team kind of used EHRs and health data to draw these conclusions. Yeah, so really what prompted our study was the fact that, um, so we do a lot of work with public health partners in our program here at Regan Streif, and public health partners said that the rates of congenital syphilis, which is essentially where the mom passes syphilis on to the baby, um, have been going up nationally in the U.S., um, as well as in Indiana. And so they were concerned about whether um, women were getting the right screening and um, how we could measure this. So that was that was one concern was just rates were going up. The other is that previous studies had really only looked at claims data in the past and had not really tapped into the power of electronic health records. And so um, given our health information exchange and our depth of you know working with electronic medical records here in the state, we partnered with our local public health uh, agencies as well as the CDC to do this study where we combined uh, claims data with EHR data with a data that the health department had itself in order to look comprehensively at um, all women who were pregnant uh, during this three-year time period to see the proportion of women who got screened for syphilis. Great. And so what were some of the team's findings? Yeah, so we found that in general, providers were doing a pretty good job, but, uh, you know, we were measuring at about 80%, right, uh, which is a, a typical threshold or criteria that a lot of, right, that, that a lot of places try to uh, get to, a national benchmark, if you will. Uh, but we were still finding that 20% then of women were not getting screened the way they should. Um, so on the one hand, providers are doing a pretty good job, but on the other hand, uh, there's room for improvement. Um, we also then kind of looked you know deeper at kind of who was getting screened um, and we found that uh, on on average uh, black women Hispanic women were actually getting screened at rates higher than um, Caucasian women and we found that individuals on commercial insurance were actually a little less likely to be screened than individuals on Medicaid and other forms of insurance. And so it's sort of the opposite of what we might, you know, a lot of times we talk about uh, disparities where, for example, black and Hispanic populations are getting less than other populations. But in this uh, particular study, we actually found that those rates were a little higher. Um, and that may be due be, be 
due to the fact that um, many of what we call high-risk zip codes, which is what we looked at in this study, they can be found in sort of poorer neighborhoods, they can be found in minority neighborhoods, they can be found um, in, in those types of uh, areas of the city where, uh, where, where those uh, minority populations live. Um, and so those are zip codes where CDC would say, well, you should do an even better job. So maybe through public health reach, reach out campaigns or work by the STD clinic in the region, uh, they were able to get those women screened at higher rates. But, uh, but really, when we look at the guideline, it doesn't say you should only screen black women or you should only screen women in these zip codes. The guideline is you should screen all women. And that's really what we want to see is that every woman gets screened so that if she is uh, positive for the disease, that she can be treated well before she delivers the baby. Absolutely. And that is really interesting. I was going to ask about uh, the demographic data because we do know that women of color, particularly around pregnancy, often do face hurdles to prenatal care, including screening. And so what are, can you surmise a few hurdles that maybe are preventing pregnant people from getting screened for syphilis or by contrast, why uh, healthcare professionals may not be doing the screening on their end? Yeah, so I think some of the hurdles, from a patient perspective, I think some of the hurdles are uh, really access to prenatal care. I think that in our population, in our study, we were looking at a highly urban population. And so uh, there's a lot of healthcare providers around. There's a very large safety net provider in our area. There's a uh, very large STD clinic that does a lot of outreach. And so I think that in, uh, you know, we did not look at rural areas. So I imagine that if we did the study again with a different population, we may find that you know lack of access to OBGYNs in rural communities would, would play a role so but in our study we found that prenatal prenatal care was still the biggest reason why probably someone didn't get screened is that they weren't um, in that care, uh, which can happen in lower income populations. Some women may not know that they qualify, for example, for Medicaid when they're pregnant. Um, that is a good way for someone to get access to that prenatal care. Um, I think the next biggest barrier is attending those appointments. So even if you come in once to get, you know, essentially, you know, tested for pregnancy and get set up to, uh, you know, with a plan for, for the birth, you may not, you know, attend subsequent clinics. Um, and so that's another reason why we want to see people get, you know, regular prenatal care so that these screenings can happen at regular intervals. Because a lot of the women uh, were just screened when they showed up for delivery. So even though they got oh, wow. screened, yeah, even though they got screened, they weren't necessarily screened in the first or second trimester, which is really where we'd like to catch it so that we can treat it in advance. We still saw many women show up and get screened just at the time of delivery at the hospital. Wow, that's really interesting. So if a person presented for syphilis at the time of delivery, of course, they could receive treatment, um, as could presumably their infant after birth, but that doesn't really address some of the fetal issues, I think. Um, that That's correct, yes. By that time, some of the damage to the fetus may already be done. We can treat we can treat the fetus um, when it's delivered uh, and, and, and then treat the baby subsequently for the actual disease, but, you know, some of the, um, you know, uh, you know, congenital effects essentially like some uh, potentially you know development of down syndrome uh, you know other types of uh, learning disabilities that may present later uh, we wouldn't be able to prevent those as if we would if we could treat it earlier say in the first or second trimester 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I know that this study spanned from 2014 to 2016. So you weren't necessarily considering the effect that COVID-19 has had on screening rates, but is can you draw any conclusions or do you have any hypotheses about the ways that COVID might have affected prenatal care and including this kind of STD screening? Yeah, so we definitely have seen across the board, you know, preventative care go way down during the pandemic. And even this last year, um, you know, not not in 2021, where uh, some people were starting to come back into regular health care for diabetes and other diseases, we still are seeing preventative care across the board go down. And so I would imagine that if we repeated the study, uh, you know, last year and this year, that we would actually see probably rates lower than what we saw in, in the study that we just did. Um, and that's because, you know, again, some people were fearful of going into healthcare settings because they thought they might catch the virus. Um, in other instances, you know, uh, people were, you know, they were af afraid of getting testing or vaccines or anything like that while they were pregnant. And so um, that may have uh, turned some people away from prenatal care and regular screenings for things like STDs. Let's say if I'm a public health leader in Marion County or in Indiana, and I get the results of this study, what are some steps that I should be taking and that other public health leaders could be taking to ensure that those remaining 20% of people are getting screened adequately and are getting access to the prenatal care that they need? How can they use this information to adequately target patients in need? Yeah, so I think there's two strategies that public health leaders could use. Um, one is they could take the approach of targeting providers and letting them know, you know, you're doing, most providers are doing a pretty good job, but, you know, we're still, you know, not where we want to be. So getting the message out that, you know, screening is important for all women, regardless of insurance, regardless of where they live, um, and puts kind of that sort of communication uh, with providers. Another thing they could do with providers is actually provide reports on a regular basis for clinics to say, well, you know, our if we're at 80% as a community, uh, your clinic is at 90%, your clinic is at 70%, so giving them some uh, comparison of their clinic to the uh, benchmark for the area, uh, which also, which you know from other studies, really drives providers to uh, you know, at least be at the same level that their peers are at, if not above that, you know, for some providers it's a it's an amount of pride and like well, they're trying to do the right thing and and they want to like achieve those goals so I think that that would be something that uh, health leaders could do in the area uh, to drive rates up with respect to patients I think similarly uh, it comes down to communication so you know getting the word out that one if you're you know if you're pregnant you really should be getting this screening um, it's your you know women are entitled to it uh, it's 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 free to them um, no matter what insurance plan they have because it's preventative care and so uh, that's something that you know some women again maybe may feel like they, they, they may have to pay for it or they may be fearful of getting it but say you know it's the right thing to do for you and your baby and it's you know it's provided to you uh, and here's how you can get access to it so I think there's also some communication because I think a lot of times we don't uh, communicate always from public health with with populations sometimes you know some some cities do a really good job of this other areas don't necessarily do a great job of it but you know it's everything from from, you know, billboards to bus signage to uh, TV and radio ads that can really remind people of these preventative screenings and to get them on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think establishing trust with patients is really important. I mean, as we've seen with other sort of public health initiatives, uh, dis and misinformation can really run rampant in the absence of, in the absence of quality information. So that makes a lot of sense. 
kind of taking a step back a little bit, in terms of other public health objectives, what are some other ways that you see health IT being used to support those other public health objectives, um, specifically in Indiana or more broadly? Yeah, so I think coming out of the pandemic, we actually have an amazing opportunity to better integrate public health with health care. You know, many other countries have integrated uh, programs where uh, data from electronic medical records, for example, are accessible to public health agencies. We found out in the pandemic that we're not doing a good job of that in the United States. And so this is really an opportunity for us to fix some of those problems. Um, if we can, you know, connect, better connect EHR systems systems to public health agencies in terms of reporting, not only for infectious diseases, but also for chronic diseases, then we can think about new partnerships that are cross-sector that focus on addressing social determinants of health, because public health is very in, in, invested in addressing those social determinants, as are large health systems and payers. And so coming together to work on those issues. Also, if we can share data at a population level, we could address, you know, uh, rates of diabetes, diabetes screenings, uh, in addition to cancer and other chronic conditions that you know, really are, are plaguing us. And that's not, uh, that's not a data type that has been you know, reportable under law in the past to public health. But if we work together to connect systems and, and report those data on a regular basis, then we can address some of these uh, chronic conditions that really you know, drive up the cost of health care, uh, you know, you know, send people to the emergency room and uh, work on, you know, the, the kind of triple aim together as both public health and health delivery systems. Absolutely. With that in mind, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about that you'd like to share? <laughs> or is that uh, too too in the weeds? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, we're in the weeds on a number of of projects. Um, certainly, you know, we still have quite a bit going on uh, around COVID, and particularly COVID vaccines. Uh, we're certainly transitioning to a, to looking at long COVID and monitoring that going forward. But outside of COVID, we're very excited to get back to some of these other routine public health things, uh, including uh, diabetes. So we are part of a network. Um, a national network of sites that are pooling together data from electronic health records to look at diabetes incidence and prevalence uh, across the country and working with CDC and the NIH to do this project. So it's a, there's a bunch of uh, participants at the table, including health systems and HIE networks and others. And so that's a very exciting project that I think will, ha will offer a lot of insight into how we might be able to scale these type of efforts across the U.S. Um, similarly, we're looking at uh, other projects that are focused around uh, sickle cell disease, for example. Similarly, pooling together public health databases with health system databases, pediatric hospital records uh, to look at not only that sort of the newborn screening that everyone is kind of familiar with for sickle cell disease, but also following individuals with sickle cell disease who today are living longer. They're becoming young adults. They're becoming, you know, they're, they're living uh, much longer than they have in, in decades past and following them and understanding their health trajectories. Again, we can do that through like have longitudinal uh, surveillance, if you will, of medical records over time. So some very exciting things that CDC is trying to work on, uh, work on with state and local health partners, and of course, uh, the health systems that participate in, uh, in these efforts to make electronic medical record data available to public health to address some of these important issues.
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dixon. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's always exciting to see what's going on at Regan's Cave and with public health informatics. Well, it was great to talk to you, Kat, and uh, yeah, love participating and I appreciate being invited to share both our research and the exciting things we're working on next. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and encourage your friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe out there.